1: And welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is episode 77, and it is Tuesday, August 2nd, 2011. As always, I'm your host, Paul Fox. And joining me from his secret location, what some might call his secret lair, here in the Fragrant Harbor, is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hi, everybody. Hi, hey, Paul. How are you doing? All right. Not too bad. So, Kevin, word has it, you were at a somewhat semi-secret premiere over the weekend.
0: Secret? Oh, my God. Uh, no, I was at the uh, official premiere of Squatter Town, the independent film made by our good friend Marco Spamberg. Uh And apparently he can't join us tonight. Is that right, Paul?
1: He, he was slated to attend this evening, and uh, he's had a bit of a hiccup in his schedule. So we're going to do an interview with him, but uh, the interview is not going to happen here live. It's going to be put in the show in post, so you'll be able to hear it on the recorded version. In fact, you'll be able to hear it right now. We're very fortunate to be joined with uh, director Marco Spamberg, who is here to talk about his latest release, Squattertown. Now, this film, you can see it up on the web. Uh, As we mentioned, you can go to uh, YouTube and basically do a search for Squattertown, and you'll find the page. And it is there in episodic form. Is that
2: correct? Uh, Yes, it's a web series, actually.
1: Yeah, well, why why do it as a web series and not uh as a standard film
2: um hmm good question actually the idea was to uh test and explore new kind of distribution models and it turned out web series were quite interesting or quite good way to uh find an audience online mm
1: mm-hmm. And so you held the premiere here in Hong Kong a physical premiere uh, last yes. saturday uh, how did, How did that go was it, did, did everything go according to your expectations? Were there any glitches or snags?
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, we had uh, a lot, quite a lot of people coming in uh, lots of people I don't know, so that's that's <laughs> a big 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 plus, big surprise. Um, and everything went well. The the screening went well. Uh, our special extra features we had went all well. So I think it was quite good. It was a nice a nice closing to this whole project.
0: We even had more alcohol than we expected.
2: Yes, more alcohol, and more free food. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that that's always a plus at any premiere. That yes, so everyone
2: can. left happy. So I think that's. That was fine.
1: So um what's been the general reaction so far?
2: Um on the premiere on the yeah. on the web. web well websites? have you
1: gotten any have you gotten any 'cause it's only been up a couple of days, but have you gotten any feedback on the web as well?
2: Uh so far it's entirely positive feedback what I've had. Um on the premiere as well as on the on the show on, on the web series. Um but it still turns out to be a pretty much a niche product, so uh, uh, it's not a, a big mainstream sales. It's, it's still a, a niche thing. So the the people who see it really like it, uh, and the others will probably never see it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so what do you what What are your plans now? Um, it's it's gotten a general release on the internet, but are you looking at um, sending um, it to festivals, or do you have further plans for
2: it? Um, actually, no. So basically, we will. really I mean the whole series is already online, but throughout uh, August we will bring a lot of extra videos on it. So like making of videos, uh, where you can see the visual effects and how we shot it, uh, plus extra videos on each of the rooftops. So we had so much uh, video material that I could uh, edit extra video clips just with not used uh, or unused uh, footage from the rooftop tops. So and of course I I have a production diary log feature that will uh, also be released. So there's basically a lot of stuff coming up during uh, August. And then after August, I'm not sure, because I I actually have to focus on another project. Um, But we might try to get one or two web series festivals. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But not the regular short film festivals, just uh, the niche festivals for web series.
1: So uh, I think when we talked last time, you were in the midst of... uh, just finishing up production and heading into your post-production work can yes. you tell us a little bit about some of what was done in post-production um you know what what exactly aside from standard editing uh did you have to do to the film and were there any problems or things you had to deal with during that that sort of post-production sex section
2: um so basically the- the regular editing, the, the image editing was quite fast, I think just three weeks. Um, but then the, the major part of the post-production was the sound editing and mixing, period. So this took me around seven to eight weeks because basically what I had to do is, was recreating the entire sound from the scratch. So we couldn't use any sounds from the locations because you could hear cars, you could hear neighbors talking uh, and we couldn't use all this in the final film so what I did was really recreating the sound um, and doing a lot of foley work, doing a lot of extra recording, going back to the locations. Uh, I was personally physically doing the entire footsteps you hear in the film. Mm. So all the footsteps you hear in all the episodes are my footsteps.
1: Now did you have to go back and, and do, because you have your actors speaking in um, several different
2: languages, did, did they have to yeah. do post-dubbing? Uh, no, uh, so basically all the dialogues are from the location. so we managed to get halfway clean sound from the locations for the, the dialogues um, except one dialogue that we had to make an uh, ADR later on mm. that wasn't a big deal actually um, yeah more complicated we had these little small sounds you barely hear but you need in order to create this whole atmosphere around it mm.
1: and how how did you come about doing uh, some of your not just that you mentioned doing some of the Foley work back on the site, but um, how did how did you do that? And then how did you get a music mix into it? Did you have somebody compose a score? Uh,
2: yes, we had a special um, composer, music composer. Um, and I think I actually brought him in right from the beginning. So we basically talked about the, the music for six months. <laughs> Um, and then he started writing a couple of pieces and then, uh, um, yeah, so basically whenever I had some images I showed him and then he 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 worked parallel to the production on it. And he was also um, the guy who was basically supervising all the sound mix uh, I did because he's the more professional uh, uh, sound guy actually. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, interesting. Uh, Kevin, do you have any questions you want to throw at Mr. Spomberg?
0: Well, how does it feel to have finally kind of finished the project? Now, I mean, you started back all the way back in Jesus at the end of the last year, right? I mean, so it's been an eight-month journey now, and then finally the film is out. How how do you feel? It's it's out there now. Uh,
2: uh, it's a fourteen-month journey actually, uh, because we started on eighth of August last year with the fundraising mm-hmm. so that's almost one year anniversary in five days mm. and um, before the fundraising we were producing the fundraising trailer mm-hmm. which almost took I think a month right yeah so so it's not funny it's, it's about 13, 13 months yeah 13 and a half
0: the question remains. <laughs> so that, that 13 months, uh, you you put in four, 13 months of your life into this thing, and now it's finally released to the public. Do you feel? Are you finished with it, or do you feel like you finally you have some closure, or what? What now? I mean. How does it feel?
2: Um. Actually, always when you think it's finished, and something else comes up, and you have to take care of that, and then it keeps continuing and continuing uh but i think i'm now at the point where i can, can say it's really it's really finished what i want to do now is sorting out all the perks i promised to all the funders hmm. and and i think when this is done and uh and then i really can, can say the project is finished and but it's it's not really like a big relief like a big party cuz as soon as you finish this you could go into the next project or oh, but uh, actually you are already project. in the next project, so there's no big time to think about this stuff mm-hmm. uh, my next project would be my thesis production for for the school for the m f a degree
0: are are you planning to use the use the same kind of uh the same method to to raise funds and to raise attention use the, uh these kind of social media things again the same same kind of way they used on Squattertown?
2: town uh probably not. Mm-hmm. Or at least just parts of it, but not in this large scale. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Mythesis Productions will be bigger in terms of production scale, but smaller in ter- terms of public and uh, in in internet tie- tie-ins and stuff like that.
0: So you, you used a lot of new promotional techniques uh, on Town. Do would you consider? I mean, of course, the the funding the funding thing was a huge success for you. Um, would you call the entire process a successful use of these medias, at least at this point in time?
2: Um, yes, of course it was. Uh, since actually the idea for the whole project was to to make it a test run, to see how far can we go, what can we utilize, um, what works best for this format and, and stuff like that. Um, and. I think it worked out pretty pretty well and we collected pretty valuable uh experience throughout the process. So I think I, the next project will be better, much better.
1: Do you have any uh, any plans to create a physical version of the project you mentioned you have a lot of uh, additional footage. I'm guessing you have some NG footage. You've got um sort of the the journal or the diary uh film diary that you mentioned. Are you planning to maybe put all of this together on a sort of a DVD package at all
2: in the future? Or do you think you're just going to leave it up on the web? Um, I mean, what I do right now is uh, authoring a, a Blu-ray version with, with basically all the edited footage we have. So that will, this will be a whole package of, uh, I think, 15 or 16 videos um and also some 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 photos the idea is since we have so much photo and video material we could turn it into a small exhibition by the end of the, the year and someone also brought up the idea of a book but i'm i'm not sure how how far we can go on that
1: in terms of doing this you know the, the this short web series or this this short film in hong kong uh, I think we talked a little bit before about your thoughts on filming and using Hong Kong as a location. Did you feel that the the shoot went fairly smooth or was it problematic? Did you have to do a lot of sort of guerrilla filming um and and I I guess what what did you learn on this shoot that you would be better prepared for um in an upcoming shoot?
2: Um Yes, yeah, so first of all, I would call it a squatter shoot, basically. And since the whole concept of squatter town was like that, uh, I think despite all the problems we had, uh, it went fairly well, actually. Um, what I, you mean what I learned, what I took away? or Yeah, I mean, or...
1: it, anytime I would gather, anytime you do a project, you would maybe do something, use use a certain technique or take a certain approach and then realize later, oh, if I would have done it this way, it would have been much easier or, you know, sort of, sort of learning from experience. Was there anything that you kind of um, did but you would do better in a different or
2: do something in a different way for your next shoot? Um, I think for me personally as a director, I would try to get far more professionals on the project and give away more of my responsibilities and, and my, uh, my work basically, uh, so I did a bit too much on it. I edited the film on my own, I shouldn't do that. Um, so leave a bit uh, the control away to other people and um, concentrate more on busy my main post directing. Um, so we're kicking with the actors uh, uh, we're kicking on really subtle details you later see in in the in the film uh, in terms of logistics and shooting I think um, I learned a lot during the last three years in Hong Kong so so there wasn't that there, there wasn't much new or much surprises um, of course on every shoot you learn new stuff but um, yeah, so I think I th- think it was it was I um, say comparable to other projects. It went far smoother and far better. But I think it also was a was a time aspect since the project was far longer than the regular projects. Mm.
1: What about what what about uh, in terms of? post-production and and any post effects that you worked with did you were you using um, any visual effects or any special special effects of note that uh, you had to do in post
2: Um, For Squatter town I used a couple of special effects but I tried to reduce them as much as I can to uh, Photoshop so because the idea was to keep it as raw as possible, even even for the even for the special effects. So when you know where the special effect is, then you would see that is it is a special effect. Uh, because my my approach was um, that it is gritty, it is a uh, 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 rough, and you really see it like like the old films. I mean, you really see that they. Cut out something and then posted it in, right? Like like the matte paintings or her stuff. So I was trying to keep it as simple and as primitive as possible um, with the tools I had. So we didn't do much 3D or, or, or uh, after effects rendering. It was mostly it was just tracking and uh, yeah, Photoshop. So, building mats to put into the film after Photoshop. Mm.
1: And you also put yourself in the film.
2: Uh, yes, I yeah. killed myself.
0: a <laughs> <laughs> it, <laughs> character from a continuation from the um, the the, the Dim
2: Sum Western film? Yeah, there the, the was a small inside inside joke, but
1: yeah. <laughs> is that something that you foresee you will do in all of your future
2: films? No, the idea was I kill myself now and that's it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, that I so you're need dead to, as an actor. <laughs> the yes, bum never yes. comes
0: back. No.
2: Yes. But actually, I'm, I, can, I can spoil a bit. Um, I'm even far more in the film than you would expect. So I, I was playing far more roles than, than you would think. For example, in the first episode, uh, whenever you see the 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 bad guy supposedly, so the guy who kills me, that is me. So, (laughs) so basically, what I do, I'm killing myself. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So that's the reason why you not see uh, the actor's face in the in the first episode.
1: Is there any? Deeper meaning there, or were you just no, source of no. an actor that day?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was only logistics, basically. Yeah, okay. Yeah.
1: Well, I heard there's this guy called Kevin Ma who's always willing to stand in. What? what?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I kill myself? Sure. Especially
1: when it involves killing
0: another director, right? <laughs>
1: especially when it involved
0: killing East German. Yeah, sure, i mean <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, I think we had that before.
1: <laughs> Can you give us any um any hints or any any spoilers on what your next project might be about?
2: Um currently I have two directions. So either it's a uh a second world war thing <laughs> or a post apocalyptic uh Hong Kong thing. <laughs>
0: Dude, are are you making a romantic comedy out of those or something? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. No. <laughs> wow. All
1: right. So the film is called Squatter Town, and again, you can take a look up on YouTube. And is the premiere still up on UStream? Did you guys record that and put that up?
2: Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. That's so you all. Can, you'll see.
1: You can stop by uh, UStream and at their the Squatter Town page on UStream, and you can see the both the setup for the premiere. And the premiere event itself. If you want to follow along with uh, Marco and what he's working on and what he's doing, uh, how can they do that, Marco? Where, where should people look for you at?
2: Um, yeah, so basically on Twitter. So it's Marco Sparnberg. And um, yeah, wherever you want, basically on, on Facebook, on Flickr, on Google, <laughs> if you like.
1: And um, they should they should look up uh, your name or Squattertown. You, you, um
2: for Google Plus it's Squattertown. For everything else, it's 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 always my name. All right.
1: Well thank you again for stopping by and we wish you the best of luck yeah. with your future promotions for Squatter Town and we look forward to your next project.
2: Thanks a lot. And yeah. thanks thank a lot you, for your uh, contribution to the project.
1: All right, so that was our short interview with Marcos Bomberg about his film, Squattertown, which is now up on YouTube for your viewing pleasure. You can check it out over at youtube.com slash user slash squattertown, or simply put in the, uh, the title Squattertown, and YouTube will find it for you. Uh, so you can take a look at there. Now, he's broken it out into episodes from what it looks like or webisodes, mm-hmm. Um, on their channel on youtube but when you watched it at the premiere this past saturday uh, which unfortunately i wasn't able to attend you guys saw it all as one movie right
0: yeah um marco was uh, afraid that people would stand up in the middle of episodes and try to leave so he just edited it all into one long 20 minute film with i think uh about a couple seconds of black screen in between Mm. um i'm apparently marco has asked me to say a couple of good words about the premiere because if an east german asked me to say good word about something i'm gonna say great things because i have no idea what, what he would do to me mm-hmm. but yeah no but seriously um it was fun the we had a kind of a launch party it was a it was held at the videotage in the hong kong the artist so-called artist depot in tokuawang um it was a launch party for another plan i believe some other video thing and Squatter town was managed to secure um premiere as as the the kind of the main event of the night so it was very packed if you guys saw the uStream, stream um stream what's the word I'm looking for? uStream stream stream i guess you will be able to see that it was very packed it was a very uh, joyful evening um there are a lot of people from um around hong kong in different fields and it was fun because i got to run a little joke twitter you know about Wang Jing showing up and Andy Lau I don't know I didn't remember Andy Lau but Donnie Yen showing up and destroying half the party and things like that it was a lot of fun also we had a little own table for the social media stuff we also had the photo box where everyone got to put on a little part of wardrobe from the film and 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 snap the photo I think that's available somewhere I have to find the link I'm not sure if you have it Paul but uh, I'll find the link and and throw it at you so you can put it on the website Uh, it was a lot of fun it was definitely a fun evening
1: All right, just a few news stories to cover this week. Um, This first news story is a little bit of a uh, geek fascination of mine, that being Star Trek related. Uh, Earlier this week, or I want to say last week, uh, William Shatner rolled out his newest documentary, which is called The Captains. Uh, This is a film he's been working on for a few years now. And he's basically gone around and he's found all of the captains or the actors who've played at some point a captain on the Star Trek series, and, and he's sat down and, and done interviews with them. I think this is really a a, a very interesting thing, you know, him sort of being uh, the original series captain, though he wasn't the first captain. Um, uh, Jeffrey Hunter played the first captain in the original pilot, but unfortunately he passed away I want to say, in 1969. Uh, so obviously he wasn't around to be interviewed, but um, it includes himself, Avery Brooks, Kate Mulgrew, Patrick Stewart, um, Scott Bakula, and the latest incarnation from the film, Chris Pine. I am dying uh, to see this, but unfortunately it's still going around. I think they premiered it at Comic-Con, and it's going to go around on, I guess, various, maybe some festival circuits and things. They were having online streaming, um, I can't remember what the channel was, Mm. Uh, but it's one of the it's it's a it's a newer online similar to Netflix or Hulu. Right here it says Epics. Yeah, is it Epics? Yeah. 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 Um, I went to their site, but they gave me the oh you live outside of the U.S. We're sorry, we can't service you at this time message. So I wasn't able to see it because they were premiering it free there uh, for a couple days, but wasn't able to see it there. So I'm hoping I get to see this fairly soon. But anyway, this article is related to him and the film, and it's coming from uh, the magazine Fast Company. It's titled, William Shatner vs. Canada, How the Government Delayed Funding His Documentary. And it's pretty interesting look at his, you know, sort of business, the business side of it, and his pursuit of getting funding for it. Uh, In one paragraph, it points out, Shatner and his business partner, Dave Zapone. Uh, Plunked down their own money towards the million-plus budget in anticipation of Canadian investors and government grants kicking in both were enormously slow so that we were scrambling all the time for enough cash to pay our bills Uh, It's taken two years for the Canadian government to finally give us the grants. They promised us in six months Now that we've sold it to Canada and the US we finally have our money back But it doesn't bode well for someone who doesn't have the cash to make their film so he's speaking obviously from you know the position of a of somebody who's got some cash in reserve and i'm kind of surprised he doesn't have enough to basically just fund the entire thing himself and then try and you know uh make the money back um through distribution on his own um but he went to the he went to get investors and he went to the government for grants and it took a, took quite a while so he's saying that if you are not in a position like me William Shatner, if you don't have that advantage, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to take on a similar project, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, but this is the case for filmmakers worldwide. This is why, you know, um, you've got up-and-coming filmmakers like Marco who are turning to fundraising and crowdsourcing on the internet and some of the newer forms of trying to generate funds for independent projects. Mm-hmm
0: i I'm wondering if if the Canadian government uh turned William Shatner down because of the topic if you say you're doing a history topic or some of a society something that's you know more traditional documentary I wonder if the Canadian government would have I don't do you think uh, they do you think they are they're that elitist um you know you never know I mean the arts funding it's still kind of a traditional way of arts funding in in the states or in Canada or all over the world really this is kind of a niche. that is that you know made the government did not think would appeal to people or would not appeal to a to a wide commercial audience this kind of government funding art council kind of stuff should always be the first the first source to help these independent filmmakers these people who don't usually get commercial fundings so it's a it's a shame that you know canadian government you know kept shatner waiting for so long
1: yeah well um I you know that's like I said I'm anxious to see it and you know who knows what he's going to do next it's kind of a weird turnaround that he's kind of selling this at Comic Con because as many fans will remember he was you know kind of known for his appearance on Saturday Night Live and kind of making fun of the the whole comic convention and Star Trek convention genre um, and not really being that into. Uh, his Star Trek career, you know, he was more into trying to do music and other acting. And of course we later got, you know, TJ Hooker and uh, um, Boston Portry. Legal. And, yeah. Um, and great, great, great stuff. And in fact, it, the, the article goes on to mention that Epix is, says Epix is also streaming another Shatner doc, the 2009 multi-award winning William Shatner's Gonzo Ballet. An inside look at the making of a ballet set to the music of Shatner and Ben Folds from their 2004 (laughs) album, Has Been. Uh, He says, I financed it myself, and it's taken me three or four years to recoup. So you can see
0: it's an arduous business. Um, Well, yeah, you're going to make a documentary about ballet set to your own music. Yeah, and here's
1: here's, here's a taste of it. I actually have a song from that album. your address from the phone book in the library wandered in looked you up and you were there weird that you've been living maybe
0: two miles away for the best part of 20 years and buy it (laughs) priceline.com i am buying that oh my god i never knew such awesomeness
1: it's it's actually a pretty good album um some people you know, all of he, all he does is is spoken word stuff, and then he's got they've got different artists like Ben Folds um, doing the music, and there are a couple of the tracks like that one I actually really like. Um, but of course, he's been made. You know, if you go back and listen to his renditions of like "Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds" or "Rocket Man," um, he's been lampooned quite a bit in his career. There's uh, deservedly so probably because he's kind of full of himself, but um i i like him and and i'm ex- i'm excited to see the work that he does
2: mm-hmm. all
1: right uh let's move on to some asian news uh, from our favorite site filmbiz asia uh they are they've actually launched this past monday uh their uh, asian film database so this is a, a new tool that you'll be able to use through their site uh, it says, um, the database tracks information on over 45,000 films, 80,000 people, and 10,000 companies and organizations. And it's growing all the time. It places particular emphasis on business information, including sales rights, distribution history, and festival participation. So uh, I think this is going to be a very useful tool. Hopefully, they can continue to maintain it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I've heard about the um, this database uh, and that the people of Fimbus Asia has actually kept this for 18 years, has a very, very large file. Um, I've never actually seen the database, but uh, I've heard about it and it sounds legendary. And actually, I'm really, I am really really am interested in in subscribing to this database because yeah. I think it would be really useful for, for my work here, my work on the blog, and even my work um, elsewhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at the databases out there, you've got uh, sort of the building database over at... Uh... LoveHKFilm.com, but that's really just actors and, and movies, um, and then you've got a somewhat similar database over, I guess, at um, the Hong Kong movie database site, mm-hmm. um, and but that's about that's about it really, and and both of those are sort of in different stages of development, so hopefully this one will have the manpower necessary to sort of keep it up and keep it up to date, and it'll be a very very useful tool for those of us interested. In this kind of information. All right, our next story. Uh, Kevin, you have some news about uh, Cecilia Chung. And what is this, Donnie Yen? Does yes. Nick say know about this? <laughs>
0: well, yeah, um, according to Donnie's Weibo, and um, I think a couple of media organizations have actually picked it up, but the project hasn't actually been confirmed yet. But Donnie wrote on his Weibo that he has signed on um, on a project called Assassin Couple. Which is reportedly a Chinese take, not a remake, mind you, because a remake means that they have to buy the rights and and, and you know put on the label and everything. This is only a, a so-called Chinese take on Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And the rumor is that, and again, still hasn't been confirmed, is that Cecilia Chen will be taking on as in the uh, Angelina Jolie role. Uh, apparently, this will be a very expensive action film. Donnie is reportedly being paid 30 million yuan. And Cecilia being paid her usual fifteen million yuan, and the budget of the film will be about a hundred million, if not higher. And no other, no other, uh, no other announcements about the major talent of the film. Um, apparently, they start shooting at the end of the year, uh, and that's about all we know so far. Paul, what do you, what would you think? Would you think Cecilia and Donny can live up to uh, Bradgelina?
1: Um, In a word, no. <laughs> uh, you know, I of course I'll see I'll see anything with Donnie in it. I action-wise, I think, you know, he's sort of the king of the hill right now for Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Right. Um but I just don't see the two of them as a pair. It just yeah. seems like a really I, I I could be wrong, but they don't seem like two people I would picture together having a significant amount of, amount of chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um Cecilia doing action I mean, I know we've seen her a couple times in things like uh, The
0: Legend of Zoo. Um, uh, She's done a lot of action films. I mean, she did um, she did a cameo in Tokyo Raiders.
1: Yeah, but I, she just doesn't come, come off to me. I mean, you know, Angelina Jolie kind of got her kickstart in things like Tomb Raider. So mm-hmm. she had a basis for that. Now, maybe, Cecilia, you could surprise us, I, but I don't know. This does, just doesn't seem like her field.
0: Um yeah. I honestly I think Cecilia right now is a publicity publicity trouble hound right now. It's just adding too much publicity where her casting might end up overshadowing the actual film or even Donnie. Oh, even though you know it's hard to imagine anything overshadowing Donnie. Uh yeah, even I think Cecilia her her marital troubles right now and, and all this talk about her her work ethics and See, what
1: they need to do yeah. is they need to be a bit more progressive with it. Right. right? And sort of in sort of a twin dragons, you know, remember Jackie Chan's twin dragons style? Hmm. Um, instead of having it Cecilia versus Donnie, it's Donnie versus Donnie in Mr. and Mr. Smith.
0: <laughs> you mean you mean they're like a gay twin brother and they like live with each and they have an incestuous thing <laughs> it's going? It's just like you know, <laughs> so progressive. <laughs> I- I don't know if they'll pay him $30 million for this, and I don't think they would, they would make that kind of budget, but I would I would be first in line. You know,
1: it's the next best thing since Mismatched Couples. What are you going to well, do? Right?
0: Yeah. I, I would take the day off of work to watch the opening day morning show. Camp
1: out movie. overnight for the tickets. Yes!
0: Right? Yes! It's Donnie versus Donnie, I mean, we've been waiting for that so long. Right. And Donnie will be... Okay, never mind. I'm not going <laughs> to go into the game. But, yeah, I think they'll be progressive, and... You're right, there isn't much romantic chemistry between Cecilia and Donnie Yen. I mean, let's face it, Donnie Yen is a great action actor, but he's not a great actor. Um, Cecilia has never been known for her, how to say, sex appeal or her charisma. She's just a really good actress, but she's not a particularly charming actress, I think. So it would be hard to imagine that these two taking on this lightweight blockbuster roles. And, you know, action roles and where you're supposed to have a lot of romantic chemistry and the publicity right now added in. It's just, I don't think it's a good idea.
1: You know, it, kind of poking fun at, at that idea. But as I think about casts for this kind of movie, I'm thrown back in time. I think about people like, uh, you know, Chow Yun-fat and Leslie mm-hmm. Chung mm-hmm. In, in some of the stuff that they did. Um, I don't know. I... I would, could you see somebody else, uh, another pair in this film besides Donnie and Cecilia? H- who I, would you cast?
0: Actually, I think Nicholas Say would be a good a good choice for the male. Mm. Um, as for the female role, it might have to be, I think, Fong Angela maybe. Bing Bing be a Fong Bing Bing, actually, I think. Yeah, Fong 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 Bing, Bing, Bing has would be that good. kind of vibe. Yeah, Fang Bing has that kind of vibe. I'm not sure how she would work with Nick, but I think Fang Bing Bing has a vibe. I think Nick Say has that kind of vibe. I'm not sure how they are together, but they would I'd, be... I'd, right of course, I'd
1: prefer Li Bing if we're going to go with a Bing Bing.
0: Oh, yeah. Li Bing would be great, too. But yeah. I think Fan Bingbing had more of, has more of the Angelina Jolie aura, I think. And we're going to talk about this being a remake or anything like that. Yeah.
1: Of course, you could just do Fan Bingbing and Richie Ren.
0: And then you've got Contract Lover 2. <laughs> oh, you know, Zhang Hangyu. Zhang Han Yu and Lee, Lee Bing Bing or Fan Bing Bing. But then Zhang Han you be smoking all the time. So forget it. It's going to be bad for the kids. Yeah. All
1: right. Well, we'll look forward to more news about that as production continues. Um, Alright, last bit of news. Some news about Rob Cohen?
0: Yes. Rob Cohen, the director of masterpiece films like The Mummy 3 and The Fast and the Furious and Dragon the Bruce Lee Story has signed on to do um, a film co-produced by CJ Entertainment, Korea CJ Entertainment and American Studio uh, about the Korean War. Um, It's about... uh, It's based on a Pulitzer Prize winning dispatches from the front front line by legendary New York Herald Tribune correspondent Margaret Higgins. Uh, So it seems like they're going to be taking an American uh, perspective on the Korean War. Um, It's going to be a very big budget blockbuster kind of deal uh, no no casting announcements yet the film um, will feature quote unquote Hollywood A-listers and Asian stars and they'll start filming in uh, May with a planned release day of Spring 2013 uh, Rob Cohen not exactly the best director <laughs> out there for this kind of film and the fact that he he says uh, the Korean War has often been referred to as the for- Forgotten War um kind of tells me that he hasn't seen much films about the korean war and uh, south korea has been doing this since this type of war films for years and they've done it well there's another one uh actually if you want to watch a good korean movie i say watch uh, the brotherhood of war uh by by what's his name kan uh a couple of years ago that's a great korean war movie uh even the assembly has a section about the korean war so it's definitely not the forgotten war um I am not really looking forward to this film just because it's Rob Cohen and, uh, and the whole Western perspective thing. I'm not sure if I'll be into that. Uh, Paul, what do you think? Have you, have you seen much many Korean War films? No. Um, I'm, I'm not a big
1: war movie person. Right, right, right. Um, I think we've talked about it before. For me, I like to escape movies. Give me fantasy. Give me science fiction. Don't give me reality. I get enough of that um, mm-hmm. day to day. Uh, You know, it kind of makes me wonder, though, in the event that this does take off and does become popular, you know, maybe it will lead to things like a reboot of MASH stateside, mm-hmm. or maybe directors will start turning to the Korean War as a genre for some fresh material, you know, mm-hmm.
0: getting getting away from some of the material they've been doing the past couple of years. The thing is, I think Korean Korean cinema has been doing this type of films for years. Um, Right now we have The Frontline, which is opened in Korea. Last year you had Seven One Into the Fire. You had uh, Brotherhood of War. So it's not like it's an unexplored territory. And when you have something like Korean cinema, which has matured in quite a healthy industry with a lot of money and they can do these type of films as well as Hollywood these days. Do we really need an American take on this war? Or American films about the war when Korea is already doing well, well enough.
1: Yeah, well, it, it it all it comes down to perspective. You know, it's mm-hmm. like we've talked about. I didn't think Hollywood needed to remake an Infernal Affairs, but mm-hmm. they did. Of course, it was from a completely different perspective. The you know, a completely they 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 stripped it of all its Asian-ness and Westernized everything, all the aspects. Mm. Um, you know, you can argue whether it's a superior film or, or not. Everybody's going to have their opinion. I have mine. But was it absolutely necessary? I, I, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure, you, you know, you'll find that. But I'm sure there there are some directors out there, some producers out there who are going to say, hey, we haven't had Korean War as a subject in Hollywood cinema for mm. quite some time. Mm. And you're, you've got a generation of boomers now who grew up watching MASH and mm. haven't had a taste of, of that for... You know, a while, and that might be a genre to be tapped. Mm. All right, so we've got one East Screen film to talk about this week, and that is the latest from director Peter Chan, the Donnie Yen uh, Takeshi Kaneshiro film called Wuxia. Uh, Kevin, you want to tell us a little bit about Wuxia?
0: Sure. Uh, Wuxia is, like you said, the latest film from director Peter Chan. Peter Chan has had a very interesting uh last decade. Uh he he began in Hong Kong doing smaller kind of um new new exploration of urban stories under the UFO banner. Yeah, films like Karma's a Love Story, Who's the Woman, Who's the Man. Um a very interesting string of films that you know you couldn't you can't really identify as blockbusters and then he went to Hollywood, made a small romance called Love Letter under Dreamworks. And then he returned to Asia uh, with a pan-Asian production company, tried to do pan-Asian films, particularly horror films, two uh, omnibuses called Free. Uh, he also pro- His company also produced a Korean film named One Fine Spring Day, uh, a Thai film, I think, Jandara. And then after that, he decided to put his focus on China. Um, he first did Perhaps Love, which was the, the musical starring Takeshi Kanishiro, Jackie Chan and Joe Shun. Jo Year, two years later, he did a very, the very big budget Warlords, the award film um, starring Andy Lau, Takeshi Kaneshiro again, and Jet Li. Um, that film apparently cost way too much. Um, it led to a fall between him and producer Andre Morgan due to the different cuts and other, other disputes. And I just read... Uh, recently that actually Peter Chen had to put in 10 million yuan of his own money because the film still lost money even though after it did fairly well in China, it did fairly well in Hong Kong and it sold to a lot of territories and it still lost money. So, after a few producing efforts that included Mr. and Mrs. Incredibles, uh, what else? Uh, bodyguards and Assassin. Uh, now, he four years later, he's finally uh, taking the director's chair again and this kind of toned down a little more intimate action film called wuxia now this time it, he's uh trying to explore the the classic wuxia genre uh in case you don't know wuxia genre is kind of like how do i say it's kind of like a chinese version of the westerns um it's always about long warriors um martial art warriors uh in a very kind of a world called Jianghu. Jianghu is like you know it's like a martial arts, it's called a martial arts world, but it's, it's essentially the world that martial arts warriors live in and they, they, they fight in. And that's essentially, stories about that world is essentially wuxia movies. And that's what Peter Chen says he is trying to reinvent here, the wuxia genre. The film, it's, um stars Donnie Yen as a paper maker. Called Liu Jingxi, he lives in a small rural town in Yunnan, lives with his wife, Ayu, played by Tan Wei, and two kids. Uh, one day, he while he's um, installing a paper window at a local general store, two thieves come in and try to steal money from the store owner. Uh, he decides to intervene, and he kills the two robbers in the process, uh, in what seems to be um, from dumb luck, essentially. Uh, now the, the, the government has sent in a, a detective, Shu Baijo, played by Takeshi Kaneshiro, speaking Xichuanese in the Mandarin version. Um, and he is a very eccentric man. He likes to use uh, science to, to analyze things. Um, and bit by bit, he begins to um, analyze the crime and realizes that Liu Jingxi actually didn't defeat these two thieves or might not have defeated these two thieves by dumb luck. And that there is actually more at play here. Uh, this is a very interesting stylistic exercise by Peter Chen. Like I said, he's he's toned down the production a little bit. It still costs actually quite a bit of money. I think it costs 120 million yuan, which is much lower than the, than than the Warlords, but still a pretty big, uh, pretty big production. Uh, he ditches his self-importance and spectacle in those films. Perhaps Love again about big grand musical sequences. The Warlords about uh, themes about brotherhood and it's really heavy story and a lot of big war scenes, battle scenes and things like that. But he did just those this time and he very much concentrated on filmmaking techniques. Um, it's very much about filmmaking, uh, about how he uses filmmaking techniques more than about the story. The story is not original. Some people have compared to David Cronenberg's of A History of Violence, but actually it's very much um, this type of story is very familiar in the wuxia genre, you know, the, the warrior or the swordsman who, who ditches the Jianghu world, lives in, lives in uh, uh, peace, and then his past comes back to bite him. This is not even a wuxia genre story. This is actually Godfather, you know, Godfather three, or many other story, Western stories. It's in all kinds of genres. So the story is not original, but that's fine. Because, like I said, it's really about how Peter Chen tells the story. He splits the film in two halves. The first half is like your typical uh, crime procedural where you have the investigator playing game cat and mouse with the killer and adding a little bit of CSI because the, film, uh, the film's most original technique is that it, it uses computer-generated graphics to show how each move martial arts move affects the body and it shows nerves being uh, disconnected and the heart stopping and things like that very much into the science western science of things mixed into a very eastern genre and i think that's um, a pretty cool thing it's uh, it's a very cool thing to insert into the genre Uh, even though i don't think it will reinvent the genre i think it's a fresh twist uh the film and in the second half of the film you have a more typical Wuxia's story, um, the the payoff finally comes, and um, you, you have your action scenes and things like that. There are only three action pieces in the film, the beginning, the middle, and the end, but they're very well calculated. The script by Aubrey Lamb makes them all count. They don't just come in and, and fight around a little bit, and then you continue on the story. They each play a very pivotal spot. They're placed in very pivotal places in the script. And actually... That works better for me because you have more of a you have more investment into how the fights turn out um jimmy wan yu the the shaw brothers legend who was in the one-armed swordsman of course he also only has about three scenes in the second half of the film he didn't come into the second half of the film uh his longest scene is the ending of course uh, where he he faces donnie i'll just ruin it because really it's no surprise here he faces donnie in the end but what a great screen presence. He makes every one of those scenes count. There's definitely a legend working here, and it was great to see him. Uh, Donnie is the action director here. Uh, even though he only has those three action scenes to do, he pretty much uses what he does best, which is one-on-one hand combat. And he is great at those. I think I think that's where he excels at, actually. Really fast, really furious moves going on here. All one-on-one combat. Uh, he, of course, you got you see his lightning punches uh, being used by different characters. And I think it's really exciting to watch. Uh, I would say, uh, out of the four or five Donnie movies he's done in the last year, I think mean, this is his best movie of the last four or five. Maybe his best movie in a couple of years. Um, his acting here is surprisingly good. I really enjoyed seeing him play dumb. He just has that kind of, I guess, dumb luck look, and it's really good here. I think I've seen the film twice now, and even though Takeshi Kanashiro speaking Sichuanese, is kind of the scene stealer, I actually took a, took a, took the effort to look more closer at Donnie's performance in a second time, and I actually would say that Donnie's performance is really good here. I, I really enjoy his performance here. Uh like I said Takeshi Kaneshiro speaking Sichuanese in a Mandarin version it's really amusing um for me at least for Chinese speakers it will be quite amusing uh just, I'm not sure what's so funny about the Sichuanese accent I guess it's kind of the way that mainlanders listen to Cantonese and they find that amusing uh I've talked to uh, a cl- uh, a classmate from Sichuan and asked him about how how uh, Takeshi's Sichuanese is he said actually it's quite accurate even better than the Sichuanese dub of Let the bullets fly so good job um Considering Hong Kong's output this year, uh, I previously put Don't Go Breaking My Heart at number one as the best Hong Kong film of the year. Wu Sha has pretty much replaced it. Uh, I still like Don't Go Breaking My Heart a lot, but considering this year's output, Peter Chan's Wu Sha is definitely the best Hong Kong film of the year so far, and it's hard to imagine any film beating it until perhaps the end of the year when you have uh, uh, Trey Hark and you have... Who else? Maybe Wong Kar Wai, uh, those films coming out. So definitely, with a capital, as I've written in notes, see it. See Wuxia, and see it on the big screen. Paul?
1: Yeah. Um, all right, so to clarify, this film has a few English titles. Uh, as I search around on the web, it's listed as Swordsman on Asian Media Wiki and Dragon over at IMDb. I don't know why it has these titles, because it is simply called Wuxia here in Hong Kong.
0: Actually, uh, Dragon is the North American title. The Weinstein brothers have bought it, and they already said they're going to rename it Dragon for the North American hmm. release. Which is kind of weird because it, yeah.
1: it has nothing to do with the film at all. Yeah. I'm re-rolling um, my
0: eyes. So you yeah. can't hear it, but yeah, that's what um, I'm doing.
1: <laughs> but yeah, if, if you saw Chen Zen, uh, Legend of the Fist, Return of Chen Zen last year, and it left a bad Donny aftertaste in your mouth, you this film is your mouthwash. Uh, this will clean out that bad taste. This is, um, I agree with Kevin, this is probably Donnie's best film that I've seen in quite some time. Um, except for Mismatched Couples. <laughs> but this is, uh, I, it's just, it's great. It's great action. It's great stout storytelling. And for me, it was fantastic art direction. I loved the art direction in this film. Uh, the attention to detail of the village, the village life, the things they were doing, the things they are going through. I mean, the actions there, the story's interesting, the characters are interesting, but just the little details. I mean, there's a lot of things that are revealed um, that are just so small and, and so tiny, but so significant. There's the relationship, for example, between, you know, uh, Danian and Tang Wei as mm-hmm. husband and wife, and yet there's more nice. to it. Um, there, there, there's more to the the relationship with their kids then and you learn this over time and i for me that's really good storytelling and really good film and just the attention like i said the attention to detail with the props and the sets and everything um it just blew me away great fight direction um again there's really only three scenes that you have this but there's some revisiting of those scenes especially in the first part And it's just really, really well done. And you've got Kara Hoy, who is just awesome here. Her scene, when she has a confrontation with Donnie's character, um, I was on I was on the edge of my seat through that whole scene. She comes in and she's got a super presence. She's always had that for me. I've always been a huge fan of her. If you were asked me, you know, uh if there is a person in Hong Kong cinema that you would like to sit down and and just listen, you know, have coffee with, she would be at the top of my list. I loved her in the old Shaw films that she used to do with Lau Ka Lang. I always thought she was uh, super hot. I still think she's super hot. She's, you know, carries herself very well in all the films she's done. Just simply awesome. Um, so, yeah, the film is done in two parts. As Kevin said, it starts out, it's it's a little bit procedural. It's like this, you know, CSI thing, which is kind of weird as it merges these two genres uh, but then in the second half, it really evolves back into more traditional kung fu action cinema. And it, it's it's a welcome change. Um There are some kind of odd, deeper existential moments right. uh, in the film, especially with the character played by uh, Takeshi Keneshiro. I think they could have done more with that because it seems like... I don't know, it, it it seems a little bit out of place in some ways. It seems like they, they should have done a little bit more with it. It brings a kind of strangeness to his character that's never explored more deeply. And I think that there was more they could have done with that. And maybe they did, and it just ended up on the cutting room floor. Um, but the genre shifting reminds me in many ways of Running on Karma. And uh, that, that's a that film's a few years old now, but that's a film that dramatically shifts between different genres um at least three times but here the shift is much less drastic and so it kind of makes for that smooth transition transition and better storytelling um so yeah it's it was it was great i enjoyed myself i'm can't wait to see it again i can't wait to get it on uh blu-ray hopefully we'll see a blu-ray fairly soon um but there's a scene with a cow (laughs) <laughs> or a, a a China Chinese water buffalo beast of burden and i really have to watch that and you've seen it twice and i don't want to say exactly what happens cuz i don't want to give a spoiler mm-hmm. but something happens to this cow that made me go no they just they they didn't just do that did they because it looked so real mm-hmm. and i i maybe i blinked and i missed some cgi or something it was either a really good effect or they really did something really, really bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's just really good effect. I don't think they would risk um, in that scene, putting the, 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 the cows or the buffalo so close or doing actually any real destruction. I mean, it's an expensive movie. You have expensive stars, but and, you know, you know, um, the scene that I'm talking about, there's a scene
1: yes. with one cow or one water Buffalo. And, and I just, can't, I, I was like, I don't believe what I just saw. Did they actually just do that? And, I, I i'm still questioning it I, it's like that's i want to watch it again just for that scene mm-hmm. um because i feel like i got you know like they did something bad <laughs> i don't
0: know <laughs> no no definitely not. i definitely look like uh i wouldn't say it's obvious cgi uh definitely not it's just really good cgi okay I think. um I, I i would just you know put the put the benefit of the doubt on the filmmakers. I don't think... I think we're past the time of using real animals to do this kind of stunt. We're not really in the... I don't know. Trey Hark I, might do it. Yeah. I always say when Trey Hark has a chance to use real animals, if he could, he definitely would. Detective D, those deers, if he didn't have to use CGI in the 80s, he's using real deers to try and kill Andy Lau. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not, not these days. I, don't, I, think, I think filmmakers have to be a lot more safer with these things. And using real animals for those kind of things just seems... Um, how do I say? Not, not practical.
1: Okay. Well, I hope not.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. But yeah, the, I, what can I say? It's, it's the film of the year so far. Uh, mm. I don't see anything on the horizon that is going to change my mind, but I could be wrong, but it's definitely a see it. As soon as you get a chance to see this, if you're somebody who likes, um, if you like martial arts films in general, but you also kind of like, you know, police procedural shows, You know, I think you'll get a kick out of this, the way they they, they merge these two together. Although, the very ending, and again, I won't spoil this, but the very ending, the ending of, you know, the end, you know, the the, the final fight, I'll say, is a a total what-the-heck moment, (laughs) the the way it goes out. Um, But it it makes sense in the context of the characters involved and, and
0: some of what's going on, so... But actually, like you, like you were saying, just part of the whole thing about Peter Chan being really good with details. I mean, even as you, as you kind of think about on a shallow, on a on a, on a surface, it seems like really came out of nowhere. It it totally plays along with the theme or what he's trying to do here: merge science with the martial arts genre. Yeah. And even if it's really elementary science. You know, it makes sense uh, on a thematic level. And, and I, I want to add in, like you say, like you were saying, I want to double, I guess, back you up on this. Like you were saying about the characters and, and the little details. Uh, on my second watch, I actually noticed even more because that was the first first thing I noticed is that how good the dramatic scenes were. How yeah. the little details you know, really there's, meant the, something. There's,
1: to give you an example, there's a scene very early on, like, like right in the very first few minutes of the film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, Donnie Yen, his character, and, and his wife are sleeping next to each other, and he's waking up, and she's got his, you know, his, uh, what would you call it, the changsam, or his pajamas, what he's wearing to bed. She's got that gripped tightly in her hand. Yes. You know? And yes. and you, you look at that, and you go, okay, well, what's going on with that? And they slowly, over time, you you, you come to understand you know what what that means and right. it's just little stuff like that that's there that if you're if you're paying attention it's very meaningful but mm-hmm. if you're not if you're just looking for
0: the slug fest that's there too you know right it's awesome how how well peter chan because he's we're obviously he's working within the confine of genre here a very classical genre um and it's great to see how how much he can do within it how much what he adds in within it or how, how far he takes it. I don't think he takes a genre anywhere new but he's doing so much within it about trying to be uh, to look important and I think that's where he excels at and I, I hope he would keep doing genre films from now on
1: You're listening to the East Screen West Screen Podcast.
2: Visit congcast.com for more
1: Alright, so our West Screen film for this week, Dylan Dog, Dead of Night. Um, This is a film uh, coming from director Kevin Monroe, who doesn't have a lot of work in his filmography. Um, He's done, he did the recent Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated film. Um, He worked on a video game. Uh, This is really his first bigger budget Hollywood film, you might say. Um, this is also based on a comic book from Italy uh, that's been running for a very long time. If uh, if I remember the the dates, it started back in I want to say 1986 and is still running uh, today. So it's a very long-running comic series. Um, some of the comics have been I think translated into English and released in the United States. I want to say under the Dark Horse label. Um, I've never read any of the comics. I don't didn't know anything about the character, so I'm approaching this film as a complete newbie. and it stars Brandon Roth as the title character, Dylan Dog, who is basically sort of a, a private investigator slash uh, peace officer um, who works the border between humanity and the living dead or the supernatural beings Um, and all of this taking place in the city of new orleans Um, now as i if if i remember reading up on the film the comic actually takes place in london Um, but they decided to shift to new New orleans and the, the setting changes and i think if you've probably somebody who read the comic or knows the comics you won't be real happy with what they've done here um, fans tend to not like it when they make big drastic changes like that. Uh, the film also stars uh, Anita Bream as Elizabeth Ryan, a young woman who finds herself seeking for Dylan's help when she finds her father has been murdered by what she believes to be a supernatural being. Um, and along for the ride is Dylan's assistant, Sam Hunt, uh, played by Sam Huntington, who plays a character named Marcus. Um, and unfortunately, Marcus goes he ends ends up going from a state of being alive to a state of being undead so he sort of becomes the undead companion it's a little bit of a spoiler but I want to talk about uh some of some of the f- things that are being borrowed well, in in this film uh, from other films uh, with that character uh, you also have uh an actor like Peter stormari here in in a small role uh, as the werewolf Gabriel and tay Diggs as the vampire Vargas so uh, this is like some really, really bad TV. Mm-hmm. Let me just get that out of the way. The plot is basically that there's, a, there's this MacGuffin object that's going around. Um, it looks like all the supernaturals are fighting for it because this object, which is called the Heart of Belial, uh, will make somebody super powerful by giving them control of this demon type of creature called Belial. And they can use this to then dominate all the other supernaturals and humanity. So it sounds like a very typical television story plot, and that's what it feels like. Um, The the sad thing is, is that if you are watching current stuff, if you are watching things in the same genre like Teen Wolf or Supernatural or maybe True Blood, um, they are all better than this, or at least on the same level as this in terms of production value. Um... And so I think we talked a little bit about this before, you know, Hollywood's going to have to up their game because, you know, when TV looks better than film, um, you're not going to be making a lot of money back on your film, and producers are not going to want to produce your film, and it's going to be bad. So I kind of feel bad for the director here and some of the actors here, uh, Brandon Roth, who, you know, many people no from uh, Superman Returns he also had a part in Scott Pilgrim last year he just doesn't bring anything to the character that i think it needs this film is trying to be a little bit like a noir film with the character Dylan being sort of like this detective there's a lot of narration going on here but Brandon doesn't have the the kind of voice that you need for this kind of character he he needs to be sort of like a two-fisted kind of Mike Hammer character but he just looks like a pretty boy Um, and he seems totally out of place in a lot of what's going on. He seems to know a lot, but uh, it it just doesn't seem to work well. Uh, The sidekick, uh, who's again played by Sam Huntington, which is a little bit of interesting trivia because he himself was also in Superman Returns as Jimmy Olsen. So the two have worked before as sort of a lead and sidekick. Um, But he is very annoying, Um, and through his transition... Um, as, as the character is not very interesting, you don't really. I, I, I didn't really feel a lot of sympathy for him because he just kept whining. Uh, he never comes to terms with the issue that he's going through. And you, you look at char- similar characters. I, I want to say it's the film *Idle Hands* had a similar character where the the, the main character's partner uh, undergoes a transformation, or um, more precisely, *American Werewolf in London*. Uh, had, had a very similar type of thing where it was all just done better. Those characters as supporting characters were more interesting and less annoying. The villain here um, is predictable. Uh, I kind of figured out what was going on fairly early on and you don't have to be a, a you know a film buff to do that. If you've just seen standard TV plots, you'll kind of figure out what's going on. Um, the character of Dylan too gets the smack beat out of him all over the place. I mean, he's getting attacked by vampires, he's getting attacked by werewolves, by super zombies, by demons, getting thrown for yards and yards, landing on cars, falling off of buildings, but he's human. We're never told that he is anything but a human, and he seems to survive all of this completely unscathed with barely a few scratches on him. Um, So that aspect of it, maybe there's more to him in the comics, but that's never really revealed in, in this film. So if there is, I I didn't see it. It's just he's a human, and he takes a beating, and he keeps on ticking, and nothing seems to stop him. It makes the supernaturals seem really wimpy, uh, and this is kind of a problem I had with the TV series Supernatural too, with the main character Sam and Dean Winchester. Uh, as the plot and that goes out, they start fighting tougher and tougher creatures that are supposed to be unbeatable, but then every week they're beating them more and more easily. Uh, so it's kind of the same thing here. They just make the supernaturals seem, you know, why should anybody be scared of them? They're supposed to be faster. They're supposed to be stronger, um, but they they don't seem to take hold of their weaknesses. Uh, in one scene, for example, he goes to confront the the, the leader of the vampires, who's living in a skyrise apartment. So he just opens the door, and sunlight's coming through. You know, it's just, it's 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 not smart the way that some shows are today. Um, and of course, you know, the ultimate power device, the MacGuffin that kind of pushes it along is less than interesting. This film has a 3% rating, I think, over on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's, you know, I'm, I'm not alone in my criticism of the film. Uh, I'd say if you're really bored, you've got nothing better to do, uh, and you are somebody who likes supernatural stuff, you might want to TV it I'd I'd say get yourself some really good cheese nachos, though, Mm. uh, to go with it. And then go watch Underworld, you Mm. know, which is just a much more stylistic and better film in general. Kevin?
0: Well, I guess if you put it like that, Underworld is a better film, I guess. (laughs) Um, Okay, Dylan Dog is I I kind of understand the film is done on a cheap. It's an independent film. It's not a studio film. Um, it was done on only a $20 million budget. So obviously it would look more like a TV pilot than a film. Um, and of course that's not okay. But what can I say? You know, that's what they had to work with. Uh, I think it was trying to give a supernatural twist to the comic book genre. There's been a lot of comic book films, as you can tell. And I could see what they're trying to do. Uh, but the problem is that it deviates way too much from the source material. If uh, what I read before is is correct... Um, it kind of lost that a lot of dark humor, it lost a lot of edge, and it's a PG thirteen film in the in the states. Um, and the whole thing about reinventing it to be a film noir, just give me a break. It didn't work. the the hand, The voiceover was very badly written. Didn't work for me, and it did too much explaining. It was all explaining, explaining. It's almost like they were working with a world that is too rich. It was it had too many things going on, and the writers. Um, just really had to put out everything. So the entire film, if it's not Brandon Roof rock- walking around and talking to people, it just like your, your regular you know, supernatural procedural film, we just talk about Shop being a good procedural. This is a bad procedural because all, all Brandon Roof does is that he's walking to the next monster and he's talking to them and then he walks to the next monster. Then he gets beat up and then he walks to the next monster and he talks to them some more. And it, it's really boring the way the plot progresses if, if the plot is progressing at all. Uh, I think Brandon Roof uh, kind of after Superman he didn't really get any more leading man roles. He didn't get the big Hollywood star treatment that I think he was expecting or people were expecting out of him after Superman. And he did some comedic work uh, especially in, um, like you said, Scott Pilgrim. And he also had a, had a supporting role in Zack and Mary make a, por- make, make a Porno. And I think it's worked here. It kind of added some charm to his character. But He's given too little to work with. The no, like I said, the the voiceover didn't work, and his character isn't really written well written enough to make him uh, an attractive uh, lead man. One of the two, one or two dark comedic bits worked. Uh, like you were saying about the sidekick, I think I like the sidekick a little bit than you did, Paul. Uh, but I think it could have gone darker. Essentially, that's the whole point of him. I I wish it had gone darker because it was working with low budget. So why compete with other, you know, supernatural shows by upping the special effects and by adding in all this action, when they could take bigger risks. You know, it could be a very interesting horror film uh, or an interesting uh, a monster film, even uh, or an interesting Southern Gothic film. I think Southern Gothic is a is a cool genre. Ma- magical realism, True Blood, that kind of stuff. I think it's it's an interesting area to explore in cinema. Um, it would it would justify why they shot the movie in New Orleans uh, right now. Uh, it just seems like they didn't really justify why the film was shot there other than the fact that they got a tax break out of it. Because uh New Orleans they, they in an in the effort to try to revive the city, the I think the city or state um offered filmmakers a lot of tax credit, uh or a lot of tax breaks to film in New Orleans. And I think that's why the the film moved there. Um but, you know, they don't really do anything with the city. Uh what else? You know, it's not much else to say. It's really just TV it's a TV pilot um if it led to a series uh, or a longer series uh, which means that the 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 writers had a little more room to ex- explore the world then I think it might have made something a little better but right now it's really just like a TV movie that's not very good that might not even, it's not even it's not even hBO or Showtime maybe it's tNT Maybe, oh. maybe, maybe Spike TV. Yeah, it seems like a Spike TV movie. Stick on G four. <laughs> yeah, stick on G four. It's it's not even like it's not even good cable. It's like basic, basic cable. My God, yeah. it's not even network TV movie. Slightly,
1: sli- I'll say it's slightly above a sci-fi channel movie. Yeah,
0: maybe even a sci-fi. <laughs> if they had like worse CGI, it would be a sci-fi production right here. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, TV is where it belongs. So if you're into this uh, supernatural, gothic, uh, stuff. Um, True Blood Even the vampires Are called True Blood I mean Come on Give me a break Try not to be so You know It's obviously driven By the success of uh, Supernatural and True Blood But don't name your vampires True Blood (laughs) That's such a stupid thing to do So if you're into those um, TV it On basic cable But uh, it was on TNT TBS You know G4 I say sci-fi channel would be it's too good for a sci-fi channel maybe, but yeah, TV. If you're into those things, otherwise, uh, skip it. I I don't think we'll be visiting the world of Dylan Dog anymore.
2: Green, West Green.
1: Okay, comments. We got a few comments uh, from our last episode. We got an email comment from a gentleman. I believe his name is Kevin. Kevin Lindrum, he writes in, he says, Hi guys, just finished listening to episode 74 where you talked about Beach Spike, and I wondered what your opinions on the film's producer, Bay Logan, were. It didn't seem like any of you thought too much of him, or his reputation as an authority on Hong Kong cinema. Uh, I think in the UK, and probably in, and probably the West in general, he's pretty well regarded for his in-depth knowledge through his DVD commentaries, books, and other various projects. He first brought my attention to Hong Kong movies through his Impact magazine in the UK way back in 1992, and I've followed his work since then. I do realize that the movies he's written or produced haven't been the greatest, but he is still uh, the most prominent, prominent and enthusiastic supporter of Hong Kong movies for most Western fans. Do you know how he's regarded within the Hong Kong movie industry? Does he have a bad reputation? Um... <laughs> Shall I start? Uh...
0: Well, uh, Well, okay. Yeah. You know, Bay Logan has done um, fairly well in representing Hong Kong cinema, presenting it in the West with his DVD commentaries. And I'm sure he knows a lot about Hong Kong cinema. And he also ran the, the Asian office for the Weinsteins where he was trying to get um, several films off the ground. Uh, I'm sure he has his friends in the business um he saw uh, he's reportedly very good friends with donnie yen a uh, very early supporter of donnie yen and apparent you know as you see donnie is now you know mr logan is obviously proven right i don't know him personally um we don't know him personally we've never met him but um personally i didn't learn about hong kong cinema from mr logan's work because well one because i am Hong Konger and, and, you know, Hong Kong cinema is just kind of naturally my interest. Um, so I didn't really, I'm not really, haven't been really exposed to Mr. Logan's work other than Beach Spike, unfortunately. So um, I'm sure he's a great, you know, he knows a lot. And honestly, we, you know, I don't know him personally, so I don't want to say too much about his reputation here in Hong Kong. But... Um, if the films speak for themselves, then the film speaks for themselves and Beach Spike is not a good film. So that's that's my take on it. Uh, Paul, do you have anything yeah. to add? Um,
1: again, I don't know him personally. I've I've had one or one email interaction with him um, way back in the day when I was running another site. So yeah, I just know him through his work. I you can say he was a little bit of an influence on me originally because I do have his book Hong Kong Action Cinema, which was one of the first books out there to you know really talk about um, the films and the genres coming out of Hong Kong there are other books that I would say I've encountered since then that have been more influential in in my the way I look at at cinema Um, he's continued to work in the industry he's continued to produce in the industry Um, I've talked with people who've worked with him and it's a mixed bag you know, uh, that's all I can say. I mean, one person's opinion of of someone is no more valid than someone else's. So, I base it, you know, what I see, you know, from from his work. Um, you know, there there's some stuff that you can look at. I mean, his his commentaries are you can take that at face value. Very knowledgeable about the about the films he talks about. Then you've got him appearing in certain films. I I've got a f- crazy film called It's a Mad Mad Kung Fu World. Um, which is a weird kind of, I don't know what you'd call it, like documentary slash variety piece Mm. um, that he he has a part in that. Um, You might have seen him in uh, the twins effect. Um, He he does try to, you know, uh, undertake small roles here and there to get on screen time. Um, But I think he knows, I think in interviews he said, you know, he realized very early on he wasn't going to, get into the industry over here uh, in in front of the camera. And so he spent most of his time working behind the camera. And, you know, that's that's all I can really say. I mean, um, how is he regarded in the Hong Kong movie industry? I, You know, how is Wong Jing regarded? Some people like him, some people don't. Hmm. Uh, but he works and he employs people and he pays salaries for people. And for many people, that's a good thing. So... You know, you just take that for what it's worth. And I don't think we answered a single point, did we? <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't really say. Yeah, You know, I mean, we don't really want to say too much.
0: I mean, that's we, pretty much you know, all we know. A-
1: anything we could say is just hearsay. And, yeah. and that's not fair. So I'd say, you know, uh, take, take based on what you've accessed, his material, his books, his commentaries, take that for fa- at face value. Um, you know, as we talked about with Beach Spike, not a good film for various reasons. Um, is Bay Logan as the producer directly responsible for that? In part, you know, but he doesn't bear the sole responsibility. Um, you know, for some of his other works, you know, how, how much does a producer bear the responsibility? How much does a director bear the responsibility? That's always a debate, right? Who has the creative control? Who's ultimately responsible? Who's pulling the purse strings, these kinds of issues? Um, but just take his work at face value. That's all we can do. So Gary Lau wrote in, he said, never seen an entire Bollywood movie. Uh, but from what I've seen, uh, but from what I've seen, I liked Doom. Uh the Doom movies, is that or Dom? Doom. Uh, I don't I'm not familiar with those films. Kevin, are you? Well no, because I apparently I don't speak uh Tamil, So <laughs> yeah. he says, I, I believe don't. Ashiwara Rai was in the sequel, Dom 2. Um, there's some incentive to watch it, at least in, from, in my camp. <laughs> Uh, And there's a third one in the works. And he says, and somebody tell Paul that he's saying Tamil wrong, Tamil. Uh, Completely threw me off when I hear him say it as Tamil. That's how I was saying it. Uh, I didn't know any better. Uh, I'm Glad for the correction. It says it's pronounced Tamil. And some of my closest friends are Desi, so yeah, I kind of know. We thank you for the correction, uh, as I'm certainly not an expert in Desi or Hindi or any other Indian dialect. All right, so that's, uh, that's email, and uh, that's a show. What do you yep. know? Hey, yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Um, and we got some good news our show is now on Stitcher Radio. Uh, you can listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your Blackberry, and your Web OS phones. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. You can find it on your App Store or at Stitcher.com. Uh, Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio we're very pleased that they accepted our show uh, we are up there with you know some big boys like uh you know the the cnn's and uh, they've got some uh, msnbc and twit and frog pants and all kinds of uh, you know big podcast producers up there and but they said yeah we'll take your little show if you, if you like and i said sure so now you have an alternative not just the website not just itunes but um, if you're on different phones, please please visit Stitcher.com, and uh, you can find our show there. So thanks to them for that. And thank you, Stitcher. Yeah. yeah. Thanks to Kevin for coming along for this ride. No, and sir. Thank you. Of course, you can always find us at our website, and I'm going to be making some changes to the website over the course of the summer, so I do apologize for the mess. I've been learning some more HTML code, and some more WordPress functionality, and I'm trying to improve the the site slowly but surely, Um, but it's taking time. So there may be a couple days where things are down or not working or moved around, but hopefully I'll have all of that done by the time the summer is over. But do stop by the website. You can leave us some comments or feedback over there, as many of the guys do, and we might just read some of those comments here on the show, or you can stop by iTunes still, uh, if you're not a Stitcher user and you get us through the iTunes feed, that's great. Uh, but we would love for you to go to over to iTunes and leave us some feedback as well. Uh, we'd like to hear your thoughts on things you like, things you don't like, how we can improve, or just comments in general. Uh, leave us a couple stars, five stars, if you really like us, because that will help us out in the rankings as well. You can follow along the show at Comcast uh, Twitter, that is, at uh, twitter.com slash concast. And, of course, you can always follow the Golden Rock, that is Mr. Ma in his daily exploits and musings here, right here in Hong Kong. That is twitter.com thegoldenrock. Email, you can send us a direct email at Eastscreen at gmail.com. And if you would like to, you can attach a short audio file with a question or a comment or a short review, something you liked, something you didn't like, and you can send that to the email and we might just play it here on the show. So next time episode 78 well we're fastly approaching that 100 mark kevin
0: yes just uh another 22 My bad math. 22 23 episodes yeah yes 23 more weeks so episode 78 looks like we're gonna be covering what uh the warring states what is that yes this is a chinese uh film um which is best known for um a very rich man spending 150 million yuan, uh, paid for very and paid for very respectful, respected actors, all for his quote-unquote reportedly, um, uh, a rumored girlfriend. But it sounds like a great sounds like a great time. It has uh, Su Honglei in wacky hair and Francis Ng acting like he thinks he's really handsome, uh, and actors from from Japan and Korea. You know, it sounds like a really Mess and it's and a it, it's you know. a period piece, right? Yes, it's a period piece, and it totally twists the um, the war like the title says, the Warring States History. It just sounds like it's going to be a terrible movie. All right, <laughs> uh, terrible movie. And it's be
1: great. Uh, speaking of nationalism, and uh, well, what else can you say? Captain America, woo go USA! Uh, <laughs> Will is <laughs> finally being released over here this weekend, so we'll be getting a chance to see that, and we'll be talking about that next week, and maybe. If time permits, we'll talk about our little blue friends, the
0: Smurfs. Yeah.
1: Um, so, yeah, there'll they'll be that. And uh, Kevin will probably, hopefully, have a Blu-ray or something to talk about as well. All of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen wishing you good viewing. And we will see you next week.
0: See you next week, everybody.